Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Thursday, June 9th, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, who needs a gaming console? Not Xbox, not anymore. Twitter is going to give Elon the firehose treatment. Dell unveils some new XPS goodness. Apple does its own banking. More signs of the NFT market cooling off. And a popular developer tool is riding off into the sunset. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Remember when I said when Apple went on and on about how Macs were good for gaming now because they have chips inside them that can do gaming? But I said hardware is increasingly not an issue for gaming at all. When I said that, I was thinking about stuff like this. Microsoft has partnered with Samsung to launch its Xbox TV app on June 30th, which will let Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscribers play Xbox games without a console. Quoting The Verge. Microsoft is launching its Xbox TV app later this month, allowing owners of Samsung's 2022 smart TVs and monitors to play Xbox games without a game console. Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscribers will be able to access more than 100 games through Samsung's 2022 smart TVs, streaming through the cloud, powered by custom Xbox Series X hardware. Fortnite is even available to stream free of charge if you're not a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber. The Xbox TV app will work very much like Netflix does on TVs and will be available from Samsung's Gaming Hub on June 30th in 27 countries. You simply log into your Microsoft account in the app and stream Xbox games just like you would through Xbox Cloud Gaming in a browser. Microsoft and Samsung will support a large number of controllers for the Xbox app, including the range of Xbox controllers, Sony's DualSense, and many more. You simply connect a controller via Bluetooth, and you're good to go. Unfortunately, Microsoft isn't bumping up its streaming resolution to 4K, so games will be limited to 1080p streaming at 60 frames per second. Microsoft has partnered with Samsung here for the initial rollout of the Xbox app, but it's not clear when the app will be available on other TVs or even older Samsung models, end quote. Cameron Faulkner at The Verge has already gotten his hands on with this, and he says that games load quickly and work with Xbox and PS5 controllers. A high-speed connection is essential, though, because, again, this sort of seamless streaming gaming don't need no hardware, but it sure does need broadband. By the way, Microsoft also gave details on what it calls Project Moorcroft, designed to bring early game demos to Xbox Game Pass, rolling out within the next year with a focus on indie developers. Quoting The Verge once more. Game demos like this are a lot of work for developers, especially getting them ready for what was the usual annual E3 conference. While E3 is not happening in person or even virtually this year, Microsoft is setting up this program to financially reward developers that are willing to take the time to create these demos. Project Moorcroft is still being worked on inside Microsoft, but the plan is for curated game demos to start rolling out within the next year. The initial focus will be on independent developers, and any game developer will be compensated and be able to view how their demos perform." End quote. I'd like to spend as little time on this as we possibly can, but sources are saying Twitter's board has agreed to comply with Elon Musk's demands for internal data on bots on the Twitter platform by offering access to its full so-called firehose of data, quoting the Washington Post. The firehose is the massive stream of data comprising more than 500 million tweets posted each day, according to a person familiar with the company's thinking, who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe the state of negotiations. The information could be provided as soon as this week, the person said. Currently, some two dozen companies pay for access to the trove, 
which comprises not only a real-time record of tweets, but the devices they tweet from, as well as information about the accounts that tweet. Musk's legal team contends the data stream is essential for understanding the amount of spam and bot activity on its platform, a figure that could influence the company's ad revenue, according to a letter sent to Twitter on Monday. Musk has said the deal is on hold until he secures the information, adding to speculation he's trying to pull out or renegotiate his purchase for a lower price. When he signed his initial deal to buy the company in April, he waived a right to look deeply at Twitter's finances and internal workings. The purchase agreement requires that Musk go through with the deal unless he can show the company misled him or a major event has changed its value, end quote. Dell has announced redesigned versions of the XPS 13 laptop and XPS 13 2-in-1, transforming the 2-in-1 into a detachable Surface rival, adding Intel's 12th-gen CPUs and more. Quoting a gadget, While all eyes are on the flashy new XPS 13 Plus, Dell hasn't forgotten about its mainstay premium ultra-portable or its convertible cousin. This year, the XPS 13 has been redesigned to be slimmer and more power-efficient. The XPS 13 2-in-1, meanwhile, has been transformed from a foldable laptop into a detachable Surface competitor. Both are being positioned to make room for their new family member. If you want power, you'll want the XPS 13 Plus with its beefy 28-watt CPU. But if portability matters more to you, then the XPS 13 and XPS 13 2-in-1 may be more appealing. Here's how you can tell Dell is thinking of the XPS 13 differently. It's now running 9-watt 12th-gen Intel processors, whereas last year's model was powered by 15-watt 11th-gen chips. According to Dell, you can get the new CPU to run at 12 watts in performance mode, which gives you the same performance as the previous processors. While we haven't tested the XPS 13, that claim makes sense given the massive performance gains we've seen from Intel's new hybrid processor design, which rely on a combination of high-power and high-efficiency cores. Dell also managed to craft a motherboard that's 1.8x smaller than last year's model. Notably, it's also the most compact motherboard the company has ever created. The new setup is so efficient, it only needs a single fan to cool the entire system down from the two fans in last year's model. Dell tells us that fan could be noisier than before when it's running at full blast, but for typical usage, it'll be quieter. On top of generating less heat, having more internal space gives Dell room to throw in larger speaker enclosures, as well as a bigger battery, now rated at 12 hours of juice. As a fan of Dell's previous XPS 13 2-in-1 notebooks, I'm also intrigued to see how the company tries to tackle a premium detachable, especially after the failure of the XPS 12. The new 2-in-1 sports a 13-inch screen, is powered by 12th gen Intel chips, and notably, it's also Dell's first PC with built-in 5G. At 1.6 pounds for the Wi-Fi model, or 1.8 pounds for the 5G, the 2-in-1 tablet also weighs less than the 1.96-pound Surface Pro 8." End quote. This is interesting. Mark Gurman says Apple will handle Apple Pay Later's lending in-house. A first for the company. In-house subsidiary, Apple Financing LLC, will oversee credit checks and make loan decisions on that buy now, pay later thing that they announced earlier this week at WWDC. Quote, A wholly owned subsidiary will oversee credit checks and make decisions on loans for the service, which is called Apple Pay Later. The business, Apple Financing LLC, has necessary state lending licenses to offer the feature, though it operates separately from the main Apple Corporation, the company said in response to Bloomberg questions. 
The move marks the first time Apple is handling key financial tasks like loans, risk management, and credit assessments. It's a significant shift for a company that got its start selling computers. Until now, Apple's financial services have been backed by third-party credit processors and banks. The Apple Card credit card, for instance, relies on Goldman Sachs Group for lending and credit assessment. Goldman Sachs retains a smaller role in the new program, though. The financial firm is the issuer of the MasterCard payment credential that's used to complete Apple Pay Later purchases. Apple Financing doesn't have its own bank charter. Apple has been working to move many elements of its financial services in-house as part of a secret initiative dubbed Breakout. In addition to taking on lending, credit checks, and decision-making, Apple is working on its own payment processing engine that may eventually replace CoreCard Corp. Bloomberg reported in March it's also working on new customer service functions, fraud analysis, tools for calculating interest and rewards for other services, end quote. So kind of like how the major automakers are really just banks that happen to make cars in order to support their finance habit, and airlines are basically just credit card reward schemes tied to, you know, flying people around the world. Why shouldn't Apple use their hardware business to do banking and lending and all the rest? But that makes me wonder. For all of their privacy pronouncements about keeping third parties from surveilling you inside their ecosystem, seeing what you do on your devices, I assume Apple is going to use data they glean about you and your activity inside their ecosystem to inform their credit decision-making processes, right? Surely they have plenty of data on us, but I would imagine that they're not going to shout that to the rooftops, right? Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide, 
finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Crypto Omnibus segment here. Ethereum's proof-of-stake merge upgrade has gone live on Ethereum's oldest testnet for blockchain development testing before eventually, we assume, being deployed on the main net soon. Quoting Decrypt, Ethereum's merge, the blockchain's much-anticipated transition from its current proof-of-work mechanism to a proof-of-stake consensus algorithm, will be one step closer today if the planned trial upgrade on the Ropsten public testnet goes as planned later today. First rolled out in 2016, Ropsten is Ethereum's oldest testnet that allows for blockchain development testing before deployment on the mainnet. Similar to other testnets, it is identical to the mainnet, with the key difference being that no real funds are at risk if any technical issues occur. The date for the upgrade was first announced on May 18th when Ethereum core developer Terence Tsao broke the news that configuration for Ropsten's Beacon Chain, a POS network that runs alongside Ethereum's mainnet, had been merged and client releases should be expected soon, end quote. Also, apparently 54% of ApeCoin owners voted in favor of remaining on Ethereum after Yuga Labs floated the idea of creating its own blockchain after its huge metaverse land sale. This doesn't sound that interesting on the surface, but in the background, I wonder if this is very interesting. Like, one of the big ideas behind Web3 is the idea that the community has a say, that interests with all parties are aligned. So if the community voting with their apes says, we want to stay on the Ethereum blockchain, then that has to happen, right? But, you know, all those big investors who poured a bunch of money into Yuga Labs recently, I wonder to what degree they were basing their investment decisions on Yuga and the apes having greater control over their own destiny, which could be achieved partially by owning their own blockchain. In other words, I'm wondering if the investors are happy about this. And finally, continuing to keep an eye on NFTs in general, according to The Block, weekly NFT sales declined by just over 70% from a high of nearly 1 million units in the third week of 2022 to a little around or over 250,000 at the end of May 2022, quoting TechCrunch. The decline in NFT sales volume is not new, but it has grown in severity in recent weeks, adding fresh heft to the argument that the crypto or Web3 market is in a period of correction, what some describe as a winter. The decline in NFT sales does not come amid a freeze in recent funding rounds for NFT-focused companies, however. A quick scan of TechCrunch headlines, in fact, shows the opposite. Sure, Yuga Labs of Bored Ape fame raised a $450 million round from A16Z at a lofty $4 billion valuation in March, but there has been much activity since that event. In April, Glow Labs raised $4.15 million in seed capital for its NFT-related project that wants to help creators to deploy a smart contract with no coding required in a matter of seconds, allowing them to create customized loyalty offerings without much hassle, as we wrote. In early May, Americana raised $6.9 million for its plans to help brands and creators turn physical items such as streetwear, collectibles, cars, and artwork into NFTs, and the list of recent NFT-related deals continues. Zora Labs raised $50 million in May. Its protocol, TechCrunch said at the time, allows artists and developers to create NFT marketplaces and collections. Less than a week later, 
Ariane announced that it had raised $21 million for its work assisting digital ownership and authenticity certificates on behalf of partner brands. And in late May, Aoken raised $1.4 million for its creator-focused NFT marketplace. All those funding events are predicated on the NFT market growing. TechCrunch cited data in April, for example, that the NFT market reached $41 billion in 2021, and another source around the same time said that the market could be double this year. But it doesn't look that way, end quote. Finally today, potentially important heads up for you developers out there. GitHub is sunsetting Atom the text editor for developers it launched in 2011, and will archive all projects under the Atom organization on December 15th, 2022. Quoting TechCrunch, Atom served as the foundation for the Electron framework, which paved the way for thousands of apps, including Microsoft Visual Studio Code, Slack, GitHub's own GitHub desktop, but GitHub asserts that Atom community involvement has declined as new tools have emerged over the years. Atom itself hasn't seen significant feature development for the past several months beyond maintenance and security updates. GitHub says that it'll refocus its efforts on Microsoft Visual Studio Code, VS Code, and GitHub Code Spaces, its cloud-powered development environment going forward. Curiously, VS Code launched in 2015 as something of an answer to Atom. Microsoft's acquisition of GitHub in 2018 brought Atom and VS Code under one roof, cannibalizing the latter. But VS Code's popularity continued to grow. According to Stack Overflow's 2021 developer survey, just 13% of developers use Atom as their primary environment, versus VS Code is used by 71%. It's not the end for Atom, necessarily. Once archived, the code will be available for developers to inspect and build on, and one of the project's core contributors, Max Brunsfeld, is leading an effort to launch a spiritual successor called Zed, which will launch in private alpha this week, end quote. Tonight, Twitter space, the usual time, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, We're going to talk WWDC. We're going to talk about my impressions of my Mac studio. We're going to talk to the great Chris Mattern about the New York City tech scene and the recent big news he announced about what he's working on next. See you all there. And quick shout out to Sensel, the first portfolio company I ever told you about. This morning, they announced their big Series B round, which Ride Home Fund was a part of, of course. And they announced that Lenovo was involved in this round as well, making a big strategic investment. So congrats to Sensel. Let's go. Hashtag proud investor. All that usual VC Twitter stuff. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>